Ballerinas community. I'm your host, Georgia Dostal, and welcome to the Balanced Ballerinas podcast. Join me on this journey where we explore mindset, self-development, the transformative power of movement. We delve into nutrition, small business insights, goal setting, and of course, the profound impact of ballet, all while seeking that crucial balance within this beautiful art form. In each episode, you'll get an exclusive peek behind the curtain of my life, managing two thriving businesses, GC Dance for school-age students and Balanced Ballerinas catering to the adult ballet community. I'd love you to tune in as I bring you conversations sometimes with incredible guests, sometimes a solo episode, but always aiming to inspire you to find that delicate balance between grit and grace, really just embracing what a regular ballet practice can truly bring to our lives. This podcast, as always, is proudly sponsored by Balanced Ballerinas Academy, offering in-person adult ballet classes and online courses. I'd love you to check out the show notes for links to join our fantastic community or visit balanceballerinas.com for further information. Now, today I am thrilled to introduce Kirsten Kemp from The Confident Dancer to the Balanced Ballerinas community. Kirsten is a seasoned high-performance mindset coach with a deep passion for empowering dancers to reach new heights. Kirsten's journey from professional dancer to mindset coach is really rooted in her own experiences battling nerves and self-doubt on stage. She really recognises the critical need for specialised mental support in the dance community and Kirsten now dedicates herself to helping dancers master the psychological aspect of their craft. Her mission, to ensure dancers like you thrive in every aspect of your training and performance, tuning and turning your aspirations into reality with just such confidence and joy. And before the interview, we had a wonderful conversation for Kirsten's YouTube channel and podcast. I was in the interviewee seat, which was fun. So I highly recommend checking that out. But on that note, can I be honest with my gorgeous listeners? We had a conversation for the Confident Dancer channel first, followed by a different conversation for the BB podcast. And whilst I thoroughly enjoyed my time with Kirsten, obviously, I've been dying for this conversation for such a long time. I was absolutely wiped by the time we recorded for my podcast. We recorded um, these conversations during the Christmas break. And as you know, if you follow me on social media, I had a pretty busy break that didn't really feel like a break you know those kinds of breaks yeah it did not feel very balanced so whilst I probably should have said no to this particular collaboration out of sheer exhaustion I adore everything Kirsten is about and really wanted to make this happen but if I'm sounding a little flat at times or struggling to get some words out you know why Um, The topic we wanted to cover today was how to stop being so self-critical, which is something I know many of you, including myself at times, really struggle with. But as you'll hear, we dive into many various topics, which I'm sure you're going to love as much as I did. Um, It was just really lovely to finally connect with Kirsten. Grab a cup of tea or enjoy your drive wherever you're listening, and I will catch you soon. Enjoy this conversation with Kirsten. Hi, Kirsten. Welcome to the Balanced Ballerinas podcast. Thank you. And hello. I'm very excited to be here. We've already done um, a little chat for your amazing YouTube channel. So we are ready to go. <laughs> We've already been chatting. Yeah, we really are. Now. But I'm really excited to have you on the BB podcast. I love your YouTube channel. It's so positive. It has all the great vibes. And um, let's get to know, yeah, let's get to know you a little bit better. So when did you start ballet? 
I started when I was six. I remember it was right after I started um, competitive swimming when I was five. And then all of a sudden I went into ballet and um, yeah, I actually kind of hated it for like four years and I don't know why I stuck with it. And then I had this awakening at 10, like, oh my gosh, ballet is live. <laughs> That's so funny that you hated it and you, and you stuck yeah. with it. I know. I think I had just maybe a positive experience around recital time every year. So I thought, yeah, you know what, let's give it another year. Or my mom never forced me to do anything like that. So I don't know, something came over me every year and I kept going. And then when we started getting the quote, big girl steps being taught to us, that's when I was like, oh my gosh, ballet isn't just running around with the tambourine. I love this. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So tell the listeners a little bit about your journey from pre-professional to professional. And then what sort of like made you decide to do what you're doing today? Yeah. So I knew from the time I was about 13 or 14 that I really wanted to dance professionally. That was shortly after I learned that it could be a career. And of course, given that that's just what I saw. And I love the quote, we reach for the highest branch we could see. I was like, I'm reaching, we are going. Yes. So I um, trained at my small studio for a few more years and went to pretty good summer programs and tried to just like take what I learned and bring them back home to my mostly recreational studio. Then I trained at the Houston Ballet Academy for two years um, for my last year of high school and then for a gap year. Uh, I then decided to go to university, which at the time, at least Houston Ballet students were very much expected. Like you graduate and you are the ones who get into companies when you're 18. Yeah. So I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, this is different. This is weird. But I didn't think too hard about it. I just knew it was the right step for me. So I went, I went to the University of Utah and I had a really good um, honestly healing experience there. And that's where I, um, well, I'll kind of backtrack a little bit. When I was at the Houston Ballet, I was receiving world-class training and I truly credit that program for teaching me what I know about technique and building me into the dancer that I ultimately am. Obviously I can't give them a hundred percent credit because there was, there were all sorts of amazing influences before that, but I grew so much technically and also in my resilience and in my understanding of the ballet world when I was there. So I'm really grateful. I had that experience. That being said, it was incredibly high pressure in that environment, you know, and I'm sure you definitely understand this from your training background as well, um, because you were on the professional track. Is that right? With your yeah. pre-professional? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you get um, Sounds similar. I was sort of in a similar program to what, what you were. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the first year I was thriving because it was new and I was like, oh my gosh, I, I felt like I made it. So I definitely had these rose colored glasses on. It's like, this is what I, I get to do what I love all day. I felt like I was doing pretty well in the academy. Not like I was the absolute favorite, but I was doing pretty well. And I felt like the teachers believed in me. So I was overall having a good time. Yeah. Um, a few things happened where my second year was an extremely different story. I didn't have the best relationship with my main teacher 
that I was with upwards of six hours a day. And I won't go into all of what happened, but essentially my mental health and my self-esteem and my self-trust absolutely plummeted. And it was a sharp plummet. (laughs) I started to notice that shortly after my mental decline, where I started to doubt myself and my abilities on even the most basic level, I was so stressed out by the amount of pressure that I felt that I started to overthink and get so in my head, like, can I do this? Oh my gosh, what if I mess up? And so I was constantly in my head in in a state of extreme stress and anxiety, Mm. but I wasn't literate at all in understanding my own mind and what was going on at the time. So I thought something was wrong with me. I thought from the outside that my peers were coping really well and something must be wrong with me. Um, I used to be before that point, an extremely fast learner. I was just always on top of the choreography. I was so doubtful of myself. And so in my head at that time that I would miss the most basic combinations. So I was just looking for answers. Like what the heck is going on? Like I'm falling apart. I started to get injured, like back to back, even like embarrassingly weird injuries. Like I would hit my knee on the bar and it it would be like, there would be a bruise, but it was like a debilitating pain in my knee. And what I know now is that my subconscious mind was like, you are not safe. You need to get the heck out of there right now. So my body started disintegrating. I couldn't perform. Like I'm painting the picture like I was a mess. I'm not exaggerating. I was a mess. Yeah. So that being said, when I, it becomes relevant to why I'm doing what I'm doing now, which is mindset coaching for dancers. I really, in my business today, am so passionate about catching dancers, not only before they get to that point, but if they find themselves in a really low point like that, or even maybe if it's more mild, like they're experiencing self-criticism, self-doubt, that's extremely pervasive and causing them to hold back or second guess everything they do the second they know they're being watched, or maybe it's performance anxiety. That was a huge struggle of mine. Maybe it's this feeling that you're good enough, not good enough, and that's affecting your self-esteem. I've noticed that almost every dancer at one point experiences even a little bit of that. And most dancers don't really have the tools or the support to work through that, at least with someone who can speak to them within their context, you know, someone who understands dance therapy is awesome. I will always advocate for that. I've been really blessed by therapy in my life. Um, And I am so excited that I get to provide this specific space for dancers where we can really talk about the dynamics within their company. We could talk about their mental block around pirouettes. And I've seen really, really cool things happen with clients who maybe their mental block causes them to like constantly feel so tense when they start to do pirouettes and the tension is inhibiting their ability to improve. I've seen dancers start to be able to do clean triples on point who used to stumble out of doubles because of mental work. Mm. So because I I know so deeply what it feels like to struggle mentally and to have that 
very much affect my ability to achieve my dreams, which thank God I ended up going into a more supportive space. I felt like that's why I mentioned that the University of Utah was very healing for me because it wasn't as high pressure, but I still had the the tools and that little bit of push to keep improving. Um, And it ultimately helped me to get into um, Oklahoma City Ballet. That's where I ended up dancing professionally. And I had a really good experience there. I just ended up having a knee injury that caused me to transition and say, what's next? And after that, that's where I really got the inspiration to start providing the support that I wish I had and learning more about psychology and getting all sorts of coaching certifications to be qualified to help dancers through these things. And now I really love what I do. And it's so cool that I get to integrate that really painful part of my life into a solution for other people. It's super meaningful. I was just like listening to your story then just like kind of blown away a little bit because we almost have identical experiences just living in Australia. Yeah. Like with my experience, it was my second year where everything Mm -hmm. fell apart and it was a bad relationship with my core teacher who I was seeing for the majority of the day. And I think to your point about when you get in your head and you're trying to impress so much and it just, everything starts working against you. It was really interesting that when I made the decision to leave, I actually had a period of time where I had to kind of like finish my classes or finish the term off. And because that weight was off my shoulders and because I knew I was leaving and because I didn't care anymore about this particular teacher who was making my life hell, I had never danced so beautifully. Yes. And I remember almost like getting to the end of that term thinking, do I actually quit? Because I'm actually enjoying this and dancing better than I ever have. But it was because I'd just taken that pressure off. Yes. But yes. The only difference in our stories is that when you went to university to study dance, I went to university to study marketing, <laughs> but, <laughs> which is great. Like, but you know what? That's the only difference. It's so interesting. Wow. We have such, I didn't realize we have such similar stories. Mm. I always love that. I find it personally so healing when I see people with other stories or similar stories to mine, even in, in just other ways beyond dance it just helps us to feel like our experience was valid and we're not alone, which is why I like to talk about my struggles so intimately and in such detail. I'm like not afraid at this point, you know, because what's anyone going to do? Be like, oh, you were so silly for struggling so much. You know, that was my experience, but I'm happy to talk about it because I thought I was crazy. Yeah. I thought something was I was literally starting to explore the thought, what if I have some sort of like learning disability? I Mm. thought I was like ready to diagnose myself because I felt so like out of control. When, when you were like, I was picking up choreography, like da, 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 like super quick. And then all of a sudden the second year, I was just like a potato. I was exactly the same. And I was like, what's wrong with me? Am I stupid? Mm -hmm. Like, can I not handle this workload? And looking back, not at all. And I think what's really interesting too is, you know, that feeling of you're the only one and you're looking around and everyone else is coping and you're not. As an adult, 
out of that experience when you t- when you have those rare, I don't know whether you've had this, I'm sure you have, those rare moments where you talk to people from your cohort in that group, they had a very yes. similar experience. And I don't know about you, but when I left that sort of toxic environment, I was, you know how, and see, there are, whether you know it or not, in a classroom, more dominant people, more dominant students. Yes. And a lot of students sort of looked up towards me. And so when I left, it gave radical permission for them to go, well, this isn't okay. Yeah. And they said no to the behavior or mm. just left altogether and went somewhere else. And everyone sort of started dropping like flies. So when you're in that moment and when you're in that environment and you feel so in your head and it's like, oh, just me, I'm the crazy person, you're not. Like, you're not. Like, you're yeah. not. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I, don't know, I don't know about you, but I, I used to sort of get quite angry about my experience and it took a lot of, a lot of therapy and yeah. a lot of self-discovery and a lot of self-development. Um, you know, to come to a place now where I used to do this work so I could use it as a platform to, um, you know, just be angry. <laughs> and, now yes. I come, and now I use my platform, you know, in a positive way in regards to, like, I don't view the experience anymore as something bad that happened to me. It's something that has made me who I am today and has inspired the work that I do. And I feel like I'm not going to put words into your mouth, but I feel like your work, like you said, is inspired by those experiences. Yes. Yeah. You're exactly right. Um, Even though it's a a very safe assumption. Yeah. Like there are definitely things that I vividly remember my teacher saying that if I really think about it, I think literally how dare you someone needs to sue you like that's not okay to tell anyone much less a minor completely unacceptable but at the same time part of my healing journey was was actually seeing that experience as having something to offer me. And that doesn't, at the same time, it doesn't make what happened okay. Mm. And it doesn't mean that anyone should feel positive about it. Like there is no one way to feel about your very hurtful experience. And so I'm not trying to tell anyone like, oh, feel great about it, especially if you're in it, because Mm. your emotions are really valid and understandable um, a lot of times when we experience the thought like, oh, I, I shouldn't dwell on that, or I shouldn't feel this way, that shame and judgment just shuts down our healing process. It just keeps us stuck in a cycle. So for me, I did a lot of thinking on what relationship I want to have with that past experience. And where I've landed now is I wanted the pain I went through to, to really increase my empathy so that I can serve and not serving from a place of, you know, anger, which I totally went through a phase like that too, of like, I'm going to expose the dark dance world. And I'm going to talk about all the things that suck and that's fine you know it's a part of it and I think there's a space for it 
I just don't want to stay there for my whole life. (laughs) Yeah. You know what it is? It's the grieving process. Yeah. Yeah, It really is. Because when you, it's totally normal. When you live and breathe ballet, you have, you know, especially young women, you know, in that school age, you have a relationship with ballet, which is akin to a boyfriend, like, because you don't have time for a boyfriend. And so when that is gone from your life, you are grieving a whole identity. And so yeah. when you think about it, you're just moving through the, the stages of grief. <laughs> totally. Yeah, exactly. I, I had to also, and th- this, I recommend that everyone does this in the time that they feel open to this concept. It's not something to be rushed, but it was a super important part of my healing process to also take responsibility for my side of it. Mm. I, I chose to stay even well past when it was, you know, very obvious that it was not good for me. And I chose to do that for my own self-esteem. I wanted to leave on my terms and I'm actually really proud of that decision, but it was important for me to own the side effects that came with that. There was more hurt that happened in the many months that I stayed. Also taking responsibility for the fact that I idolized the teacher that broke me down the most. I idolized her and I wanted her approval so badly. And I wanted to be like her. And so then that opened me up to taking every little gesture, look and word and action towards me deeply to heart. I don't blame myself for that one bit because I was young and I didn't know any better and I really do believe we're all doing the best we can with what we know at the time. I really yeah. believe that even if it doesn't look like it on the outside, I was acting based off of what I knew at the time and just doing the best that I could. So I don't even see it as a mistake. I think all of what happened now gets to be used to bless other people. And I don't want to help other people out of my hurt. Cause I know that it is a very common thing in helping professions. It's like, People went through something and then they feel like they went on their own hero's journey. And so then they start feeling like, you know, I'm the hero to you. Yes. <laughs> I yes. am very big on like, I am no one's hero. I'm your, your guide and the person who walks you through this process. But I'm very cautious about saying or giving advice like, oh, I did this. Or I thought this, you should too. Because everyone's different. And that's just, I think the role of a really good coach rather than being, calling yourself a coach, but really being a mentor and a mentor says, Hey, I did this. I learned this, try this, do this. A coach will guide you through self-discovery and help you to get to know yourself and what's best for you instead of coming in with the preconceived notion of this is it. Now I obviously do teach concepts, techniques, frameworks but people get to use that in a way that is tailor-made to them and appropriate yeah. for their stage and their context, which I've seen such success with. Like I've worked with dancers who are pre-professional, professional dancers, retired dancers, dancers of all genres, um, recreational dancers, and people are always coming in at different stages of their own journey and also with different challenges. Like some dancers are totally cool with their their personal level of confidence, even though my brand is the confident dancer, but they're noticing that even though they feel good about themselves, 
they might still experience a lot of performance anxiety. So they want to work through that. That's great. Some people are really low on self-confidence. And so we address that. Um, Mm -hmm. It's that's what I really love about one-on-one work. I get to like start with people and meet them where they're at. And we work together to determine what their goals are, what success looks like for them. And we end up just working through the tools that I generally share with everyone in their own time so that they get the most benefit out of the coaching. It's really awesome. And I would love to use your expertise right now. Um, Uh A topic which is really prevalent and something that I know a lot of balance balance ballerinas, <laughs> ballots, ballerinas. Um, sometimes that's really hard to roll off the tongue. Community members um, struggle with is how to stop being so self-critical. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to use your expertise in this area. Yeah. Yeah, totally. One major philosophy that I use in my coaching process that I want to share with everybody is there is some sort of valid reason why your mind is producing these thoughts, feelings, or behaviors. Your mind is either trying to help you gain a reward or avoid a consequence. And a lot of times with self-criticism, it's really helpful to start by understanding what is that voice in your head? Does it feel like your voice? Does it feel like the voice of people you think are judging you? Does it look, or is it the voice of a teacher you had at one point that was super hard on you and you just internalized their expectations for you, what they criticized about you? That's very common, especially for dancers who have trained for a long time. They've internalized someone else's voice. So understanding that was super interesting. That voices. Yeah. What is the voice? And then using that philosophy I just shared, how is it actually, what is it trying to do for you? How is it trying to help you? Sometimes that's kind of, it takes some mental gymnastics to approach that question because a lot of dancers immediately, their instinct is to be like, it doesn't serve me. It sucks actually. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know it does, but understanding the motivations behind why we and our minds do what they do is what really unlocks the solutions that actually work. If you were, if you, sometimes I kind of refer to the mind as kind of like an impersonal thing. And sometimes I say you, it kind of depends on the approach and what we're talking about. Um, But if you are experiencing a lot of self-criticism, one, uh, several reasons for that, that could be examples of positive benefits are it could be a self-protection mechanism where it's almost like if I criticize myself first and perfect myself, it will help prevent other people from doing that to me. Maybe that's what it is. Sometimes it is maybe a a reflection of your self-image and your beliefs about what you have to be in order to be worthy or good as a person. 
some people have such ingrained beliefs about like, I need to look like this. I can't mess up in front of other people. I need to be one of the best dancers in the room to be, you know, a valuable human being. Those are very common um, subconscious beliefs. And I say subconscious because most of us aren't necessarily aware of what those exact beliefs are for us, but it is pretty simple to become aware of them. Like just start to journal or ask yourself these questions and be reflective. Um, what is it that I feel I have to be in order to be good or to be loved or to be worthy? Sometimes the self-criticism is a way that your mind is trying to almost push you into fulfilling that usually impossible expectation. So it's really a self-worth thing. Sometimes it's also a vulnerability um, issue. I kind of hesitate to call it an issue, but a struggle with vulnerability, like the feeling that it is um, like dangerous to be seen in process. Yes. So it's very, very normal to criticize yourself because deep down what you're looking for is some sort of safety or security from the threats of judgment, failure, a feeling of a loss of self-worth. Those are very, very normal causes. Now, there are others, but I could just start with that. And I'm sure that covers a lot of people. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and it's always so interesting, something I often find myself saying in my adult ballet classes is I was just saying this out loud in front of a group of 20 people if I feel like people are sort of like a bit self-conscious or like self-doubting yeah. themselves so like I'm like nobody is watching you like I'm watching you that's my job but everyone yeah. is far too self-absorbed <laughs> to be worried about True. what you're doing I think we forget that we are so in our own heads and we're the main, we've all got main character energy. Do you know what I mean? And we, think, <laughs> yes. we think that everybody is watching us. We think the teacher is just watching us do that exercise. And we think she's disappointed in us. And we think that, you know, everyone thinks that we're silly and shouldn't be there. And it's like, no one's even thinking about you. That lady in the corner is thinking about the washing that she's left that needs to be, you know, and the, someone else is thinking about a project deadline and someone else is thinking about yeah. the combination. Someone else is looking at me thinking, you know, oh, I like George's leggings today. No one's thinking about you. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. totally, totally. And that's why um, we can look at other people when we do actually pay attention to them mm -hmm. and we see them make a mistake, but we do not have nearly the same emotional reaction to their mistake as we would have if yes. it was us because it's personal when it's us. So great practice is actually depersonalizing whatever it is that you do. Um, one great framework that I've learned, it, it's such a simple one, but I learned from a mentor once this quote that, um, I don't know if it's a quote, it's just what he said, that successful people personalize their success and depersonalize their failures. People who get stuck often personalize their failures and depersonalize their successes. And what Ooh. that actually looks like is deflecting compliments, experiencing or creating a great result, achieving a goal, but being like, well, I might not do it next time or it wasn't that great, or so-and-so yeah. was doing it better. That's all depersonalizing your success. Personalizing your failure, 
we all know what that one looks like. Yeah. Oh, I'm so bad. Why can't I do this? I should be better by now, blah, 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 blah. And it's a simple choice you can make to start to personalize your successes, which mm. goes along with an, another concept I wanted to share, which is that so many dancers are very critical of themselves because they haven't given themselves permission to actually validate what they're doing well, whether mm. it feels like that's not allowed or it's a waste of time, or if you do, you'll become lazy, or maybe it's not, you don't have so many thoughts about it. It's just very common in ballet training, whether it's done kind of more like in a critical way or just very objectively, it's very normal to like, why do we give quote corrections? We look at something that could be better and we say, okay, let's fix it like this. It's very normal to get so accustomed to thinking the improvement process has to look like looking at what's wrong and fixing it. It's constantly what's wrong, fix it. What's wrong, fix it. Instead of what's going well, enhance it. That's yes. a new way of thinking that so few dancers even know is a thing. Just yeah. because it's so normal to look at what's wrong and then to even assess how good you think you are as a dancer by the amount of flaws you do or don't have. But I like to say, I've seen beautiful dancers with pretty bad technique, but I don't care because they are such a beautiful artist and they're really emoting so much or they just clearly, you know, when you just watch a dancer and you know, they're creating art. They're not just moving their body. I don't think what it means to be a good dancer is defined as an absence of flaws. I think it's the presence of beautiful qualities. Everyone, whether you think you do or don't have that, you have that. It's just proportionate to where you're at right now. And so many dancers think that it's not okay to celebrate what's going well because someone else is doing it better. But if we play that game, what is there only like one person in the world who could say they're good at something? I, yes. I don't know. Like, <laughs> let's add up the amount of principal dancers in the world. Maybe it's like three, four hundred. I don't know. Are they the only ones who are allowed they're, to they're say allowed. I'm good at a dodge? No yeah. No they're one allowed. Oh no one God. else. Oh. Yeah. If we really play the tape forward, it doesn't make any sense. So it's great to validate progress you've made, to even celebrate that you came into class with an intention to enjoy it and you enjoyed it. That's yeah. awesome. Or that one you... quality stands out amongst others in your dancing. Like maybe you do have really yeah. nice port bra. Awesome. Own it. Yeah. It's great. Or that you came to class at all. Like yeah. especially yeah, working up. with yeah, especially working with adults. And especially now I have, oh, I have a new appreciation for parents that get to class. <laughs> yes. It required a village to get you there. And it's really interesting as you're talking, um, I'm thinking about when my students, are, say, for example, doing an exercise, they'll often be so kind to each other if someone makes a mistake. They'll go, oh, my gosh, like, let yeah. me show you how, how you do this. And, like, oh, that was so good the way you did, blah, blah. And they're so nice to each other. And it's like, I know it's easier said than done, but can we just start talking to ourselves the way that we talk to each other? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're so kind yes. to each other with making mistakes. 
And I mean, I'm guilty of this too. I need to be better at talking to myself when I make a mistake yeah. in the way that I would talk to my best friend. Totally. Yes. And I wanted to just say that sometimes even the belief that making that change is hard holds us back from making the change. So I don't want to invalidate that sometimes people really are coming from a very damaged place of self-esteem, like super low self-esteem due to different difficult life circumstances or whatever. That's totally legitimate that you might have a harder time showing respect to yourself, love to yourself or praising yourself. Totally legitimate. At the same time, um, I often hear dancers talking about speaking to themselves more positively as something that's really hard to do. Mm. And I just want to ask everyone to contemplate. You talk to people all the time. And that's probably not, probably not extraordinary, like super difficult to speak to them kindly. So why not just make the little choice in the moment to be like, you go girl. You know, sometimes I kind of, I'll say those things out loud in my office or like in my head when I dance, I'm like, okay, yes. Okay. Yes. You got this. Or look, you did this or yes, you can just tiny, tiny things like this. It's, it's not always going to cure like our um, maybe deep, dark, negative beliefs about ourselves, but it honestly does make a very positive difference to just show yourself gestures of respect. I do believe that really um, it's a self-respect thing and that can ultimately boost your self-worth to practice the actions that show you I'm worth talking to myself like that. So it can be simple, even if you just do it a teeny tiny bit, it matters. No, hundred percent. And it's something I've certainly got a lot better at doing. Um, yeah. I, I've, I've really had to, especially since having Bo last year, um, he's now seven months old. It's taken me a while to sort of say to myself, you did a good job today. Like you got, yeah. you didn't get your whole to-do list done, but you, you know, you did a good job. Um, or I'd be driving home and go, oh, the morning adult ballet class, I kind of stuffed up this, but you know what? I made up for it in the night class and I did this correct, yeah. and, you know, but this went well today. And it is a total mind sh mindset shift, which uh -huh. takes a lot of practice. I think yeah. sometimes think, you know, for example, they'll listen to this podcast and they'll be like, oh my God, super inspired to talk nicely to myself. <laughs> but then it's like, you have to keep reminding yourself because you end up back in that same um, yeah. sort of mental cycle totally. of talking negatively to yourself, which is why I love the work that you do with your mm -hmm. clients because it really is investing in coaching that's going to – you're essentially the person reminding them. You're helping them practice um, yeah. these Yeah, and skills. do the inner work so yes. it doesn't keep – um, coming up to like the a surface, struggle yeah. for you right yeah 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 um, yeah which is so great to have that um, not only the accountability and support but also walking having someone walk you through mm. genuinely releasing the because you don't have to do it by yourself 
Yeah, yeah, because you don't have to do it by yourself. And I feel like, and especially because ballet is such kind of a solo activity, like let's just call it a sport for the sake of this. You know, it's kind of like tennis, you know, it's it's pretty solo. It's like a solo sport. And so we're sort of like, it's ingrained in us that we need to sort of like tackle everything by ourselves, accomplish everything yeah. by ourselves, um, go through pain by ourselves, go through joy by, by ourselves. You don't yeah. have to, like you don't have yeah. to. You can ask for support, you can ask for help, and it's not going to make you lesser of a human. In fact, it's actually going to no. make you a more optimized human, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I can share that even as a coach, like I know all of the tools and frameworks to yeah. help myself through things. When I I will be totally honest here. There was a time even recently in my new coach career as a coach where I realized that I was holding myself now to a really unkind standard of, oh, since I know this stuff, I should tackle it by myself. And when I even moved through that, even though I have the tools and I was like, you know, I am going to hire this coach work with my therapist regularly. I'm going to talk to a friend who has experience in this area and just have a witness to hold space for mm. the change you're trying to make. Yeah. Personally, you know, I obviously do this work and I'm like, I, I don't really do a lot of uh, the heavy lifting of the inner work I want to do. I don't do it by myself. Now, obviously I'm a big fan of walking myself through a lot of shifts, even like in getting myself into a great headspace every day, there's just so much you can do on your own. So I yeah. just say that to kind of balance it out. But if you are really, if you've noticed you've been affected a lot by perhaps a lack of confidence in dance or tremendous self-doubt, perfectionism, comparison, and it's just something that's really bothering you it's not going away or you keep it keeps coming back and you're like you know what I could manage but I don't want to anymore totally reach out whether it's to me or someone else it's amazing how much progress can happen just with that intentionality of yes you know what I'm going to invest this is going to change even in the first two or three meetings I have with clients in my coaching program so much change happens in those first one to three meetings because there's a whole identity shift of like, I'm a person who takes myself seriously. It's so an, even leading back. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. I was going to say it's simply the action of investing in yourself. Yeah. Which makes the shift begin to go a little bit faster. Yeah, yeah. it totally does. So to circle back briefly to the self-criticism that we're talking about, even if dancers don't choose to invest in any sort of support, that's totally okay. And also a valid choice. Um, what you can do to help yourself, even just on your own, is instead of just trying to change the behavior to, I'm going to talk to myself more positively. I'm going to celebrate myself um, and what I do well that's really going to get you places and if you want to be very consistent with it mm. examine how your self-image as a person like your identity can shift to 
I am a person who supports themselves. I am a person who respects themselves. I celebrate myself. I am on my own team. That identity or even belief shift of I am on my own team is going to create a more natural ripple effect down to your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Because thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are kind of the surface level of change. You can change those easily, but they usually come back. The deeper roots are identity, values, beliefs. And so when you really start to work on that identity, identity, values, beliefs level, that's really where things can change. Even if, you know, on the values level, you're like, you know, what's going to be very important for me going forward is valuing, feeling great about myself by the end of class. Yeah. Letting it be an activity that boosts my self-respect. Once that is incorporated into your values, even it's so much easier to celebrate what you're doing well and even see things that you didn't even see before. Like, Hey, Oh, I actually improved. And four months ago, I wasn't able to do that. Yes. (laughs) Selective blindness is a thing. I won't go off on it, but like, it really is a thing. And that practice compounds. Like the more that you are doing all these things and putting, you know, all these tools in your tool belt, it just compounds Mm -hmm. and it becomes easier. Like I promise. (laughs) Um, Captain, It's just been a pleasure talking to you. I always ask my guests what keeps them balanced. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I'd say what keeps me balanced? I'd say my community and also like, to be real, like my faith is a really big part of my life. And so just that value of like knowing deeply from my belief system, like I have purpose, I am loved, I have value, like that helps me to align my life and like step away from things that aren't working or step out in faith um, where it's really, really important. So that, and also like, like I said, my community of friends and family, um, I'm so grateful. I have a really good support system also in my dance community in Austin. Like sometimes when I don't even want to go to class, cause I'm just like, I don't know. I feel sore and gross just being around the energy of the people in the room that feels so supportive to me. So yeah, all those special, things really keep me balanced. Yes. It's so special, you know, cause you've, you've created that for people. Yeah, no, it's a special place and people don't quite understand until they just begin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. Oh my gosh. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And um, I just loved the aha moments of my gosh, our stories are very similar and um yeah. And you know what, speaking of talking nicely to to ourselves and celebrating small wins, like I'm yeah. proud of us. Like, you know, we've done, we've done all right. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I know. It, it's been so good to have you on my YouTube channel as well. I, I always love finding kindred spirits Definitely. through podcast collaborations. It always happens. Like whoever I collaborate with, I'm like, I feel like I found a new soul sister. That's cool. <laughs> because you always, you know, if you're reaching out, you there's something that's calling you to to do so. So yeah, yeah I agree. Know, if I don't get a good vibe of someone, I'm not reaching out to them. 
<laughs> no, yeah, no, I wouldn't yeah. do it. <laughs> so when so when you reached out, I was like, yes, we need to make this happen, even though it took a little while. The first time you contacted me, I think I just had Bo or I was about to have Bo. And then the second time yeah. we were in the midst of concert season. And anyway, I'm now on holidays. So it's all good. I'm so glad we finally got Perfect. to sit down and do me this too. and have you on the Bounce Ballerinas podcast as a guest. And um, thank you so much for having me on your platform. Where can everybody find you? The Confident Dancer on YouTube and Apple and Spotify podcasts as well. I have the videos in audio format. And Kirsten underscore the confident dancer on Instagram. And if you're interested in my coaching or even online programs, theconfidentdancer.com. So the confident dancer everywhere. (laughs) Easy, easy. Thank you so much. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Thank you, kindred spirit. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) thank you. It's been so great. (laughs) 